Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Furious Father Feud. So, on Monday's episode, Arnie managed to get Jenny back in 11 hours. And today, we discover that anything Arnie can do in 11 hours, Liam Neeson can do in 96, as he heads to Paris to rescue his daughter Kim and her ridiculous run after her trip abroad turns into the holiday from hell. Sex traffickers will do that. Thankfully, Dad has a very particular set of skills that he's acquired over a very long career, which are going to come in pretty handy as we take the time to talk 2008 Taken. So which movie will emerge as champion this week? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. You don't remember me? We spoke on the podcast three days ago. I told you I would find you. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. So welcome to this week's show, the second show of the week. Uh, don't forget, I'm just going to do this at the very top of the show to follow us on Twitter. If you use Twitter, there's loads of stuff on our Twitter. It's at ClashPod. Extras about each movie we cover. And once again, I know I sound like a broken record but it is massively helpful if you could take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts right my choices this week we did commando on the monday taken today i'll remind you of the connection kidnapped daughter time for a slaughter so chris (laughs) it's a grower it's a grower Chris went commando on Monday, which means <laughs> <laughs> Victoria, uh, you had taken. Now, I remember when I gave you taken last week, you were very excited. <laughs> yeah, I was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I will. Let's just get into it because I love this film. <laughs> so, hmm. Okay, you ready? All right, all right. Yeah, it's the turn of Taken. Victoria, take us on a journey. 
if only I'd sold the car, Oscar Schindler sort of said. Then he thought, I know how else to make a shit ton of money, and that's to embody everyone's favourite black ops badass turned sad sack dad turned badass again, as Taken's Brian Mills, a man who you really shouldn't lie to because he's right about everything and he will find you out, especially when it comes to nipping off to Europe to follow you too. A phase all 17-year-olds go through, apart from the U2 bit, obviously. <laughs> so- when Brian's daughter Kim is kidnapped because of not listening to her dad, he saves her from a life of sexual slavery by fighting his way through the criminal underworld of Paris, leaving a trail of dead Albanian gangsters and shooting his mate's wife in the arm, even though she just made him dinner so badass, in order to bust a human trafficking ring wide open, culminating in a fight on a boat where he rescues his daughter from a chunky pervert, all the while successfully resisting the urge to say, I fucking told you so. <laughs> uh, chunky pervert band's name <laughs> called it called it oh my what god i had to like I'd we like are chunky, chunky pervert. pervert around europe <laughs> yeah, you know, i had to rehearse it because like when i wrote that down i just did that thing you know where i really make myself laugh and it's like i can't just keep doing it so i've uh, been yeah I've had to hello europe through. we are chunky perverts <laughs> Supporting yeah. you too. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking you too, honestly. Fucking. When you just said about Kimmy's run, I'm sorry, that caught me by surprise. I just think I laughed in your introduction. Her run is bonkers. <laughs> like, she looks like Bambi. Like, it's just... <laughs> I know she's trying to be innocent, but it's just, in, it looks like she's just learned to walk. <laughs> do you want to talk about this now? So, it, so it's done or do we want to wait? Because I, I mean, the, the run, it, what, what, what's crazy about the run is that <laughs> it's like she's got three different ridiculous runs. She doesn't have just one. <laughs> My personal favourite is when she meets dad in the restaurant and she, <laughs> she's so excited to see him, but she, she runs with her arms straight down next to her side she doesn't move her arms at all and just launches her whole body forward and uses the momentum to carry her into his arms it's nuts like i got i got fascinated with the the making of this movie and i wanted to hear whether she had anything to say and the only thing i could find on what she had to say is she describes she describes kim as being very young and naive and i'm like she's 17 maggie she's 17 like and you're 25 you're you're 25 but do you not remember what you did as a 17 year old and and specifically the way you ran because you have (laughs) as a human child learned to run by 17 (laughs) she's called maggie grace and ironically she doesn't have any oh Oh, very good there it is hi daddy you were supposed to call me when you left same here what? Oh my God, they got Amanda. They got me. All right, listen to me. Go to the next bedroom, under the bed. Tell me when you're there. I can't. Now, the next part is very important. They're going to take you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom... I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Where are they? 
If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. You have a 96-hour to what? To never finding her. No. But if you don't, I will look for you. Where is she? I will find you. I will kill you. Good luck. I mean, for once, I would like to do the, the factual bit of when I first saw this film, because normally in this section, I'm just like, oh, I saw it. Why does it matter where I saw it or who I saw it with? But I remember the first time I saw this very clearly. So now this is good because I sound like Chris. So this is why this is the point of this section. What everyone's um, aspiring to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I finally come up to your standard. Um, I saw this on a cruise liner and it was just a showing of Taken with all the swearing taken out. And I was off my tits on gin slings and I couldn't understand why there was no swearing in this film. And then I realised that the cruise people had taken out the swearing because most of the audience were of a certain age and it would have upset them. So I saw a very sanitised version of this Vicky, film. what did they do with the violence? <laughs> that was it. It. Yeah, that was well, that fully in no it. That makes no sense. I know, sense. But, but just no F words. It's mental. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I know. So when did you see it? Alex? Uh, I, um, I had to interview Mr. Liam Neeson in 2014 for Taken 3, and I hadn't actually seen Taken or Taken 2. Uh, so the first time it was on, it passed me by. So it was 2014 when I watched this movie for the first time, and I watched the trilogy in order. Uh, so Taken and Taken Two, the Taken Three, uh, which, as you can imagine, was uh, an experience of diminishing returns. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I went to the press screening of this, and there was a bit of hype around it because of the trailer. Everyone loved the moment in the trailer with the famous Liam Neeson speech. So. Um, I don't know, it was a critic screening and they can be pretty quiet and, and solemn affairs, but it properly had people um, cheering, this film did. Uh, and you could see what a crowd pleaser it was uh, being in that room. And so I have fond memories of seeing this. And then I saw two and three in the in the critic screenings as well. And exactly what Alex says, diminishing returns. So yes, the best of the bunch. Yeah. Okay, um, I would just—I'll do a little bit of background, but I really want to talk about the film, so let's not uh, go wild in this section. Um, I remember it really particularly at the time because it's when I used to when I used to work as a scriptwriter's agent. We would have constant meetings around this time in uh, like the two thousand and six, seven, and eight that everybody wanted a European set thriller because Bourne had done such great business and it's cheap to film comparatively. Um, And people put down a lot of the success to the brilliant locations. And so, you know, to be able to run through the cities of Europe, people were convinced that if you could do that, uh, you'd have a hit. So um, this was made through Europa Court, which is Luke Besson's company, and he co-wrote it with someone else whose name I did not write down, which is disrespectful, but nonetheless. Um, and it was going to be Jeff Bridges, I read, in the lead role, uh, but Liam Neeson took it so that he could have the martial arts training, so he says, because he was not known for this sort of thing, which is what you forget, because now here we are 12 years later. Um, do you know this idea? I read this in an article. I think it was. It might have been Empire. Um, 
about the idea of the January Neeson. Do you know this? I I don't know. So the January Neeson, um, if I send you the link to the article, you should put it up because I'm basically like reading verbatim from it now. But because, um, so Taken does the rounds in Europe and it just didn't, you know, it didn't, didn't sort of like set anything on fire. So it was given a release date in a January, sort of like a bit of a graveyard slot. And obviously it went nuts, um, partly down to, people now think, the scene that we'll get to, which is the speech. So because of this, people try and copy that formula, which is Liam Neeson as a broken man. No one believes him, but he's the best man for the job. And then they release it around January, February, and it makes loads of money. So, <laughs> so, so it's called a January Neeson. So you've I'm, got stuff like The Grey, which is um, yeah, around yeah, that yeah. time. Unknown, Taken 2 and 3, I don't think they did brilliantly, but I'm sure they were pretty No, cheap, so. no, they did. They did. Oh, yeah, they, did. they, made, they, a, they but, made a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean, because I was gonna do, I was gonna do a whole bit about the fact that Taken is R-rated and Taken Two and Three are PG thirteen, and why the hell would they do that? And um, adding about two hundred million dollars to the box office is why they did that. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. People say that this, this you know, Taken as a film franchise can kind of be attributed to the success of that scene, of the the phone scene and Liam Neeson's performance. Because as much as I love this film, and we'll talk about it, once we've reached the high point of that scene, it doesn't really recover from that high point, even mm. as an action film. Um, just to, just to clarify, you're not reading anymore. This is These are your opinions, because I, I, I know you said you were reading ad verbatim. And I just... <laughs> I, yeah, I, no, that's my, that's my opinion. Uh, okay, okay, and I, I just wanted to make sure that Chris got your note at the top of uh, that, that, that he should put the article <laughs> up, which is that little command there for you, Chris. Did, did you write that down? Because I know, I know Vicky doesn't really use our, our Twitter account, but you've been told to now put that article up on Twitter. No, okay? doesn't, she doesn't it... use our Twitter account. She just lurks and reads it and then messages when she's annoyed by something. <laughs> that's she's exactly like, right. She, she's the party guest who hides behind the curtain listening to everyone talk about them. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's what. Anyway, anyway, so let's talk about the film. And- oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. One second here, because I, I, I mean, you no, just you touched on it that what? this movie overnight turned Liam Neeson into the action star that we know Liam Neeson as now. Because, uh-huh. like you said, before this, he was really only known for what Kinsey. I guess that was the only movie he was known for before this. Schindler's List. What about Schindler's List? Like Schindler's List, Oscar well, Schindler. Yeah. No, but, well, I mean, but Kinsey was the, the movie, I, I'm not sure if you saw it, the one with Alfred Charles Kinsey, it was his, it was his bio. Oh, hang on. It, <laughs> it, he, he appeared oh. in it alongside Tim Curry. Who else is in Kinsey? Yeah, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't believe you were going to go, uh, Schindler's List, like I didn't know. I was doing my Tim Curry reference. I'm really sorry. That's, that's exposed um, a fault line. In... <laughs> oh, dear. Um, right, are you done? Yeah. Can we talk about the film? <laughs> Did, we well, didn't even need oh, to I, do it this week and you messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this. Um, uh, Liam Neeson did not think this was going to be a big movie for him. In his own words, and this is a quote, he thought it was going to be a little side road for his career and expected it to be a direct-to-video release. Now, I watched um, the French making of Taken, which is called... The making of, <laughs> genuinely, <laughs> it's Was called it Take It. Take it. Uh, no, the the uh, the Americans were subtitled in French, and there were interviews with Pierre Morel, the director, that weren't subtitled. So I've no idea what he said. Uh, but <laughs> uh, 
you kind of get the vibe, maybe, that Liam Neeson thought this was going like direct to video by some of the things he says on the like the the talking heads that he does. Because it, it feels like he's just going through the motions. I, I, I won't lie. It feels like someone said to him, like, okay, uh, so uh, Liam, uh, this is for the promo of the movie. Uh, we really want to get across that things are fast-paced with emotion and, you know, that the movie's good. But obviously put that in your own words and elaborate. And Liam Neeson literally goes, I like the script because it's a good, fast-paced thriller and it's got an emotional heart. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and that's it. And then he's... My favorite quote is talking about Pierre Morel. Liam Neeson says this, and this is a direct quote in the making of, of Pierre Morel. He says, he trusts me enough to know that I trust him, you know? <laughs> That's how I feel no. about you guys. No, Liam. I, d- I don't know. What the hell does that mean? He trusts me enough to know that I trust him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what, of, of Maggie Grace, he says, any scenes we do, she's there 100%. <laughs> <laughs> That's <is> so lazy. <laughs> is she there? Yes, 100%. Uh, and then there's, um, then there's a bit where he's talking about playing a father whose daughter is kidnapped. And he starts going... Because as a parent, you fantasize about what you do to those people. If you'd go out and seek revenge, stop, Liam, stop. <laughs> this conversation doesn't end well, as you will find out in a few <laughs> years' time. <laughs> uh, Moving uh, swiftly my, on. <laughs> my, final, my final thing is from Maggie Grace, um, who, who says, uh, like, straight, completely straight she says that her worst fear uh, and isn't this weird because her worst fear is being kidnapped by sex traffickers while on holiday (laughs) (laughs) oh my god same (laughs) (laughs) i was just like that's that's uncanny because because that's what the movie's about isn't it what a wild coincidence (laughs) bonkers (laughs) all right i'm done that was that okay. was there. That was all. You can find all of that in Taken: The Making of. <laughs> okay, so as Chris said in the Commando episode, the the first four minutes of this film also cleanly and hilariously establish absolutely everything you need to know about your central character. He is a rumpled dad. The world is against him. His ex hates him. He's usurped by. Uh, Kim, Kimmy's new stepdad, Stuart, who's a dick, because at her birthday party, he buys um, Kimmy a karaoke machine and Stuart gets her a fucking horse. What a dick. <laughs> yeah, but Stuart clearly, he clearly has his own particular set of skills because somehow, and I think we can all safely say, Kim isn't the brightest spark. But he, st- <laughs> he still manages to sneak an entire horse into a party without her noticing. Like, he, yeah. It's like he just brings it out from behind some trees and it's like, good job. Good job, Stuart. You know, <laughs> Stuart is um, also the stepdad from Terminator 2. John Connor's stepdad in that. Oh, is he? Yeah, oh, yeah. that's he interesting. Just, good line in, good line in, good line in stepdads, yeah. Good line, yeah. Okay. Again, if but it they, ain't they, they, um, they really hammer home that, that um, Brian is big on attention to detail when he's wrapping the present and, and maybe a bit OCD. Um, we keep getting told that he he has trouble following the rules. I think his wife it's says so it. It's so perfect. And his, his, his wife friends says it, say yeah. it. I mean, he's a maverick. We get it. You only need to tell us once, but they just oh, keep I love hammering it. it I, home. I think it's but brilliant. He, I think that 
No, go on. No, I was just going to say they also do that thing of making sure we know he's a good guy, which is a trope that I'd sort of not really noticed before in movies, where if you want your hero to seem like a good guy, he will make engaging small talk with small business owners, as he does when he's... <laughs> 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 he's, 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 he's purchasing uh he's purchasing that karaoke machine from what is definitely an independent electronics store and he's having a great time chatting away having a great time because he's a good guy he's a good guy he's a good guy he's a good guy because he barbecues meat as well don't forget that that's how you put that across because he's a man and he's a dad and he's who wants your steak rare i do brian because i'm a fucking man <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it so much. <laughs> but that that barbecue, it's weird because like he's sort of set up as a really good guy, and then you meet his old battalion, these these guys who he's having the barbecue with, and they're sort of like on the surface, you're like, all right, so they all get on, they're all telling stories, they're buddies. But a lot of the stories they tell are sort of about Brian being a bit of a dick. Like, and yeah. like, like they, they basically, like, they sort of pass it off as a funny story, but you can tell there's underlying tension about the fact that they were all on a mission and the rest of them nearly died because yeah. he went home for Kim's birthday. Oh, and yeah, like, never misses a birthday. That's right. <laughs> do, do you remember that, Brian? He's like, oh, yeah, well, I did tell you. And they're like, uh -huh, but ne nearly died. So I don't know, you know. <laughs> But that's the thing. The point of that scene is all scriptwriters get out of jail free card. It's like, if someone mentions Hezbollah, then they're a badass. So it's like, they're just like, barbecue meat, birthday, Hezbollah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking great. It's brilliant. So we've established that Brian really, really loves his daughter and would do anything for her, including embarrassing himself in front of Holly Valance when he says, my, my daughter wants to be a singer to Holly Valance. And I would say, Brian, you're fucking fired i am busy being holly valance but <laughs> i don't give a shit and also are you gonna i i i don't know are you gonna go of all the people you could ask is holly valance your go-to <laughs> she's playing she-ra who has yes. um sold 20 million records before the age of 25 um holly valance released four singles then married a property tycoon she <laughs> She did. Um, um, Alex, you, you, I wanted to ask Alex, you host a lot of these premieres with Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Tom Hanks. What would you do if one of the security men, what would they do, went over and asked Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks about his daughter wanting to be an actress? It's not the done thing, is it? Uh, it's no, it's it, it's inappropriate. Her 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 response is is a little bit cruel, but like I, I, someone would have pulled him to one side. I imagine sat him down and gone, Brian, dude, <laughs> no, that's not. She, I mean, she was literally on her way to stage. You have been standing in the corner of that room for a while. Like, and you you could have used a, a moment. You, your attention to detail is bad here. This is bad attention to detail. You just walk out the fucking door. You're literally breaking protocols. <laughs> so unprofessional. Yeah. Yeah. You right, right, right now, Brian. You are the problem that you have You're been the hired threat. to solve. You've become the threat, Brian. You know, you know when we said we need you here to stop people coming up to her asking questions. You're, you're that guy, Brian. 
<laughs> so after a bit of wrangling with Kim and Lenore, like Brian has got a, a, a very um, persistent habit of using diminutive forms to the women in his life. So it's Kim, but she's Kimmy. It's Lenore. It's Lenny. And it's like, come on, Brian. Again, attention to detail. They've said it's Lenore and she said it's Kim, but whatever. Um <laughs> Kim wants to go to Paris and he says the most dad thing ever. She's like, Daddy, I want to go to Paris. Why do you want to go to Paris? It's like, rather than being like, oh, okay, sweetheart, we can talk about that. He's like, why fucking Paris? Fine. Um, signs the papers, Kimmy goes to Paris with right, well, Amanda. Because well, this whole Paris thing, so I was sort of thinking about it. It's a weird thing because as the audience, when he's going, you're not going to Paris, like you're like, you're like, absolutely, because fucking shit's going to go down and Brian is going to be right. But <laughs> that's because we know we're watching Taken. In reality, I was trying to work out, is he actually being a bit unreasonable? Is it all right for a 17-year-old to go on holiday with a friend to a country, you know, 3,000 miles away? And I think it is, isn't it? It, it is. is. It yeah. is. It definitely it's, is. It definitely is. Yeah. Especially when she says, it's a good line. It's boring, but it's necessary. Amanda is 19. And it's like, once someone's overage, then you think, oh, okay. But I, but I, I remember... I think I, I didn't go when I was 17, but I'm sure I tried to save up some money to go interrailing and spent it on fags and so couldn't go. Yeah. And his, his mum, the mum the even knows that she's going to follow the band from, from City City and she's cool with it. But I guess the issue is because of Brian's job, he's seen the worst of humanity. And so he's, he's trying to protect her from the things he's seen. AKA yeah. sex traffickers. So, and, and it also and, means that we can have a nice strain of xenophobia in the film um, for people oh, to yeah. hide, should they choose to. And, oh, and yes. Fam, Famke Janssen like doesn't like doesn't really understand children at all because she knows that her daughter is going to follow you two around Europe, <laughs> and she at some point says it's what all the kids are doing. No yeah. kids are no. doing. No, not one kid is doing that. <laughs> Chunky yeah. pervert? Yes, of course. They've already got their tickets, but not fucking you too, who haven't made a relevant song in 20 years and no self-respecting 17-year-old is going, fucking love the new U2 album. Man, Bono nails it. Bono nails it. It speaks, it speaks to me. I'm watching it thinking, well, this is setting everything up for you two to have a song on the end credits. But they don't. <laughs> yeah. They don't. So they it wasn't even some kind of deal they did. Um it, it's a bizarre choice. If it was 1987, fine, but it's not. It's it's 2008. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So let's talk about Amanda, aka Fuck. the worst friend ever. Fuck Amanda. Fucking liar. Fuck you. Fucking liar. You're a liar, Amanda. <laughs> Fuck you, She's Amanda. Unbelievable. So no sooner have they arrived 3,000 miles from home, she shares a cab with a man that she then tells them where they live. She dances in that way when an actor who's not 19 pretends to be 19, which is like her arms are kind of above her head and she's like jumping with her bum out, but she's not pissed. That doesn't make any sense. And then tells Kim to lose her virginity. Fucking hell, Amanda. But, really? she, yeah. get pun but she gets punished for it. You guys are angry with Amanda now, but she gets punished. Yeah. Yeah, she's looking at she... this from a puritanical point of view. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, she, she I don't think there is any. And... There's any other way to look at it. It's like she is literally like if this were a slasher movie, she's the one having sex in the woods, and she yeah. and she gets killed. Yeah. But yeah. but she's. I mean, she also is a bit of a moron because they like they. Uh, she meet they meet Peter. Is it the guy from the airport? And like he takes them to the property, so he knows where they live. And if that isn't enough, she says. We have the whole place to ourselves to him. 
yeah. and then she she may as well go my mother's maiden name here's my postcode do you want a mm. set of keys and I was like fucking oh, man. I'm really into sex traffickers like <laughs> let's just cut to the chase save each other a bit of time but I'm into this no problem but then she does like the hives so you know every cloud <laughs> So Amanda uh, is promptly kidnapped. Uh, Kimmy is in the bathroom. I can't remember. Oh, no, because she's got to ring Brian constantly, uh, her dad, Um, which leaves her... It's like that apartment from... Um, inception where, where you she seems to be on the other side of the road but she's still in the same apartment somehow looking through from the bathroom I presume there's a courtyard involved whatever yeah. anyway it's so Kim, well done though that bit yeah I, I, I absolutely <laughs> love like when she's looking across and like it's somehow like the whole like very cleverly uh, credit to Pierre Morel the director because it sort of sets up that idea of just like be, being trapped and the inevitable and like you're watching something. And although in that moment you're safe, shut in the bathroom, you know that they are going to come for you because they're going to check the apartment. It's great. Yeah. So we're going to get onto the big scene, but let's have a break first. Cause, cause let's. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Jack Mates Happy Hour is back for a brand new season. It's the podcast where we talk to some of the most exciting people in the world, from Ricky Gervais. In some ways, fame makes you a better person. You know, it's like, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God's watching me, but I, I know someone with Everyone else is. <laughs> <laughs> to undercover police officers. Can you see the fading scar there, gentlemen? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, yeah. That's where I was stabbed in the neck by a drug dealer once. Or... We just talk about whatever's making us laugh right now. When you think back to school kids' banter, like, it's well funny because of how immature it is. We had this teacher called Mr. McGibbon, and he had this big cushion that he was teaching us how to rugby tackle on. He just ran up to it, rugby tackled it, but landed on top of it, and one of the kids shouted, it's not your wife, sir. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny. (laughs) Listen to Jack Mates Happy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Jackmate's Happy Hour is a Stakhanov production. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so I'm rushing towards this because although it's hard to know what to say, but let's do the scene. Kimmy is on the phone to Brian. The kidnappers come into the apartment. Brian tells her what to do. Let's talk about it, but I find it hard to talk about it. Um, I will just say the reason why it works, well, one of the reasons it works so well is that 
Brian has been set up as a very overly protective dad, but more or less the first thing he says to her once he realises the gravity of the situation is the truth, which is they are going to take you. And that flip reverses everything. He doesn't try to reassure her. He just tells her a fact. And that Mm. is really scary. Mm. But the reason the reason he tells her that fact, the reason he says now the next part is very important. They are going to take you is because he's seen her run. So he knows <laughs> she doesn't have a fucking chance. She's got no grace. There's, there's no no way she's running away from those people. Just just accept that they are going to take you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, also, is distracted by the briefcase because he whips out this like dad briefcase, but it's full of really cool shit <laughs> to record mm-hmm. the phone conversation. And the bit I'd forgotten, but the minute you can see feet from her perspective under the bed I knew it was going to happen is that like the horror drag so she thinks she's fine and then she's dragged away from shot by a bad man and once she's been dragged you don't see the aftermath of the dragging you see Neeson's face listening to her screaming and he's (gasps) doing some serious face acting there as well His face is doing a lot, a lot. I did read another article, (laughs) probably also in Empire, which explains why the speech is so effective. Do you want to hear the theory? Yeah. Mm. So it it mimics rhetoric that works on a subconscious level. So I will tell you what that is. It's predictive. I will, they will, all of that. Um, Repetitive, skills, will, all of that. Um, abstract things like I have a very particular set of skills with physical details, which is I will find you. Simple language. That's kind of it. Uh, and said slowly. Wow. <laughs> which also that's is very great. effective. Chris, um, you should definitely put that up on Twitter, the article on that's the related to. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. so uh, if you, uh, Chris, if you could action that, that'd be great. Yeah, I You're think right. Because should... I, I, I... Go on. I hadn't thought about that. The very particular set of skills. Why that is brilliant is because you've got to fill in the blanks. Um, yeah. I hadn't thought about it in that respect. It reminds me of a film, if you've never ever seen the film Rolling Thunder, where they kidnap a guy and someone says, go get the kit. And you don't. it's because you don't know what's in the kit that makes it more frightening than actually if they said, go and get the forceps or something, or go and get a knife. And mm. Yeah, um, that's but, a good point. But Vicky, not the gym kit. I'll... Not the fucking gym <laughs> kit. Vicky, I'm wondering if you're going to attempt uh, to do a bit of the speech in the Liam Neeson accent. No, I'm not. Um, I feel like what's the point? Because Alex has done it so well <laughs> twice already, and I, d- I have a feeling he's not done. <laughs> so I don't. I don't see the point. Um, <laughs> have we had anybody have we want had to spoof? say anything else? Have we had a spoof of Taken yet? I don't think we have because I think what you would do. Uh, is when that when he starts doing that speech, the other person just hangs up before he can get anywhere with it. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, there's a few on uh, there's a few on YouTube like where people are ringing up like and he's lost his dog and stuff. It's quite good, but uh, yeah. Um... <laughs> um, so moving away from the speech, which is a shame. So, like I said before, I really don't think the film recovers from this extremely high point. Then we're into quite a lot of... It's fun, but it's very convenient stuff. So Brian's trying to figure out who these Albanians are. Turns out there's only one Albanian gang in Paris that's got a Marco in it, so that's pretty straightforward. He borrows Stuart's plane, though. Stuart's got a private plane, which really helps helps him out and indeed helps anyone else flying to Paris at that time because he's sitting on the plane with his dictaphone and he just keeps (laughs) playing like Marco's voice, just going... 
Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Imagine if you were stuck next to that in economy. Like you'd be like, fucking turn that shit off. Good luck. <laughs> But it's such a good moment that he gets with Stuart because Stuart's all of a sudden like, oh, shit, I'm sorry for being such a cunt to you before, Brian. I can help you. I can beat that out. Um, yeah, yeah, you like, say what? that. You say that, though. But but like, but it, it's great because Stuart's like, what can I get? What can I give you? And he's like, I want a plane an hour ago. And Stuart's yeah. like, done, 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 done. Amazingly, when they do get Kim back at the end and they arrive back at the airport, and Stuart's like, yeah, all right, cool. Thanks. Thanks for bringing her back. And Liam like gets put in a cab home. It's like, yeah, no, you. <laughs> now she's back. All those perks, yeah, give them back. No, no more private jets. No more limos. You're not even travelling in our car. <laughs> oh, do you not notice the bit where Stuart offers to carry Liam Neeson's bags? That happens in oh. the airport. Stuart's like, oh, can I carry your bags? He's like, get off, Stuart. I carry my own fucking bags. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> anyway, um, so then we've got Mister Exposition. Um, who's Brian's old buddy from back in his black ops CIA days, who sets the clock for Brian with a lot of convenient, knows a fucking shitload about this sex trafficking gang in Paris, even though it's not, not his line of work anymore because he protects Holly Valance for a living or whatever. But he's like, you now have 96 hours before she disappears. No, which kind of makes that's, sense. Um, that's his buddy who says that. That's his, one of that's, um there, that's one of his old unit who he's on the phone to, who gives yeah. him the, the clock. He's, he sort of says, like, normally with things like this, you've got 96 hours before you'll never find her again. It's the guy who's in the autopsy room in Independence Day and has the, the knife strap on in seven. Uh, he's oh, in loads yeah. of stuff. <laughs> it's him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, one of, he's one of Brian's ex unit who look less like close protection and more like they run a fishing tackle shop. Uh, yeah. Like those guys. So, Brian, I would say this is where it's interesting, given everything we know about Brian, is it, maybe he's not that good at his job because the first thing he does is goes to find the spotter, Peter, who gets in the cab. <laughs> so I've just remembered a brilliant bit. Peter's then trying to pick up more girls. So a girl gets off a plane. She's Swedish. What's your name? It's Ingrid. <laughs> It's like, of course, it's fucking Ingrid. And she's really blonde. It's like, yeah, central casting. Have you got a Swedish girl? Yes. B before he goes after Peter, he does visit the apartment where the kidnapping happened, though. And we've got a scene oh, yeah. straight out of Manhunter where he does the Will Graham thing where he can oh, sort yeah. of go into a trance and see what happened, which is a skill that people in films only seem to have. But he's sort of almost time traveling back to what, just figuring out how it happened, where it happened. And then, yeah, he, he's after Peter. It's kind of disappointing, that scene, because we, I, you know what? I'm like, if I've already seen it, I don't want to see it again. And he doesn't discover anything new. He doesn't find any evidence, no. does he? No. Yes. It's pointless. Yes. Doesn't what he, does he take? Find? I thought he, isn't there a phone and he takes the SIM card out of the phone? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. I, I, to be honest, I, I've just said that. I don't remember what he does with this SIM card. Oh, he oh, puts I it do. into a machine. Yeah, he puts <laughs> yeah, it in, yeah. in a metro station. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a machine in a metro station that's got such advanced technology that it can zoom in so clearly on Peter's face and then just print it out for you and off you pop. Brilliant. Yes, there you go. So he yeah. gets Peter killed, which is a stupid thing to do. Um, yeah. 
And then he needs the help of his friend, his so-called friend, Jean-Claude, who, this is my favourite line of the whole film, is doing a little bit more exposition about the Albanians. And I think Leonisa says, like, where did they come from? And he says, well, they just showed up from the east. And it's like, yeah, because Albania is east of France. So rather than elaborating on the geopolitics, he's like, they just came from that direction. (laughs) 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 He's the Minister of the Interior, (laughs) Deputy Director of Internal Security. Yeah, cheers, mate. I could have figured that out myself. <laughs> so good. Well, uh, oh, yeah. oh, the east. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Where Albania is? Yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Anyway, um, then there's a bit of running around. At some point, Liam Neeson detoxes. Detox. Sorry, detoxes. Detoxes. A trafficking victim. This is like the gangbang incident from the other week. I've never said, de- <laughs> I've never said detox before. Clearly, is it de- he- detox? Detox, right? He detoxes a trafficking victim just because he fucking can. And it's like, yeah, I buy that 100%. You've got all this equipment. You've got a drip from somewhere. Yeah, and you know how to detox someone. Of course you do. He's got, um, he's got all this equipment, and yet he doesn't seem to have people on the ground. So he, he hires a random translator that I think he found on Google. Like, yeah. If he's got all these skills, why is he having just to hire some random bloke so that he can help him when he's going to find the sex workers and i found that scene very awkward when when brian mills is talking to the sex workers in the street and asking them if they do open lip oh yeah yeah very uncomfortable liam's not very good on the cover is he but you you see i mean this all feeds into like this idea he doesn't have any people on the ground uh the the french interior minister guy who apparently he worked with at some point does not like him. His old unit are pretty passive-aggressive in the stories they tell about him. I don't think a lot of people like Brian very much. I, I, I think the evidence is there. I think he's, you know, he can be difficult. Yeah. And his wife, she fucking hates him. Like right, when she thought, what does she say? It straight away. She, she's like, "Oh fuck off, Brian!" I can't even remember what she says. She's just like, "You're the fucking, <laughs> you're the worst thing that ever happened yeah. to me," or something. Yeah. Eat really shit, Brian. Eat shit. Yeah. <laughs> fuck yourself, Brian. Get out. <laughs> hey, um, I, I, I honestly think you know it's because like when Stuart offers to carry his bags, I think that's that's a prime example of why Brian's a bit of a dick. He's like, "Fuck off my bags. Got fuck off my bags, mate. Don't touch <laughs> my bags. Just help you." Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Wow, wow, nice guy, huh? <laughs> um, Liam Neeson, uh, I, I presume, sort of chimes his way into the apartment of Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude's wife knows him from back in the day. She makes him some dinner and then, bam, he shoots her in the arm in order to get Jean-Claude to fess up about the inner workings of the corruption that he's involved in, which sort of um, is paying off the Albanians or taking a cut or whatever it is. I love that moment. That was this was yeah, one brilliant. of those moments where um, I couldn't remember it for a start, and it is it's the, it's a perfect scene because it's such a surprise that he does that. Mm. I thought he was going to shoot the guy, just wound the guy, and go there. Now you're injured. Now you pretty much have to do what I say, otherwise you'll bleed out or some <laughs> such. But the fact he just shoots her, it's it's great, and it's only topped by. Another Pierre Morel movie, which is from Paris with Love, with John Travolta, where John Travolta shoots his friend's wife's best friend in the head and kills her at a dinner party. She is a a, a bad person in it, but it's great. That's an even better surprise dinner party death. It feels very (laughs) 24, though, and I think this whole film does, where Brian Mills is a bit like Jack Bauer, 
uh, mm. who are both hunting down and trying to find the people who've kidnapped their daughter, who's called Kim. Um, they didn't bother changing the name, but 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 twenty four was all about seeing what extremes Jack Bauer would be pushed to 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 track down his daughter or stop the terrorist plot. So it's it felt like twenty four crossed with Born. I think is why this one worked. Yes. Is what they, yeah. what they were going for. It was yeah. what was it? It was Die Hard. Die Hard four point um, was the the movie that was actually going to be twenty four. The movie, which is a, another kidnapped daughter movie, and they just changed it from Jack Bauer and Kim to John McClane and his daughter, and mm. turned uh, the twenty four movie into a Die Hard movie. Mm. Um. So then, after some stuff that I can't remember, even though I've seen this film three times the reason i'm rushing towards this point is because as a scene i find it very effective and it it haunts me a little bit which for a film like this is like quite a thing which is the auction of trafficked women in the closed private booths like an anonymous bidding system with a a, a voice that's piped in and huge sums of money are changing hands and Kimmy is sort of like pushed into the middle and I can't remember the way it's said but it's medically certified that she's a virgin and that she's just certified makes me pure. she's certified oh, pure oh shit mm. so that just that that oh that pinches I don't like that but the reason I like that scene is that to me I'm maybe very naive but that's too real to be entirely made up do you think so that sort of thing happens like in the real world no yeah I mean I know people I saw, are trafficked but I, I saw it a couple of summers ago they did it with dinosaurs <laughs> in the last Jurassic Park <laughs> <laughs> It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. This velociraptor has been certified pure. <laughs> Clever girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really dark scene. I think this movie works best actually um when it's really dark. I think they're like the awful um little mobile brothel on the building site earlier oh, which we yeah. didn't talk about that's that's pretty hideous i think um this scene is pretty awful i mean the only good thing i thought about this scene if it is a good thing is that um brian does now know how much kim is worth if he ever <laughs> Hit hard times. I mean, yeah, if he's ever it, a bit strapped, it must be really interesting for their continuing relationship to look at his daughter and go, "I could get five hundred thousand dollars for you <laughs> any day." Well, not any day because she'd have to be pure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a bit yeah. of a race against time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, that run is gonna that run is gonna keep potential suitors away for quite a while. Oh dear. So Kim is sold because Brian's pressing the button of this poor dude. Well not poor dude, he's a bad man, whatever. Kim is sold. He kills he kills a few people. Poor guy. He's not even sure if he wants her. And yet press it again. Suddenly he's five hundred thousand dollars down and he's got a virgin. He didn't want that. Oh, and then there's another scene with a pipe to link it into Commando because Brian's dangling from this pipe and then he's like, do you know what? I'm just going to use all my strength and don't give a shitness to pull this pipe off the ceiling and fight my way out of this room. Brilliant. Mm. Um, 
And then my favourite bit of the film is the is Kim has been taken to what is meant to be a shakes. Uh, we'll say, I'll call it a pleasure barge, but it looks <laughs> like to me. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! We are chunky perverts. Welcome to the pleasure barge. <laughs> Could have just called it a boat, but yeah, pleasure barge. <laughs> Do you know what you're thinking of? You're, you're thinking because he's so large. You're thinking of Jabba the Hutt's floating barge <laughs> in Return of the Jedi. He does make you think of Jabba the Hutt, though, doesn't he? He's yeah, horrible. He's horrible. Yeah, really yeah, where they say they're being prepared, sir. It's like, whoa. I mean, the thing is, the inside of the boat, I would say, looks like the boat of a wealthy man, but the outside of the boat looks like that pub on the Thames. <laughs> the Tattershall <laughs> Castle. Like the yes! <laughs> I'm obsessed with that pub. I, I mean... Obviously, you know, you know what I'm like. I love that pub, but to me, I don't think the Tattershall Castle is what you would be aiming for if you're a no, shake that's paid half a million dollars yeah, for a virgin <laughs> or whatever. So uh, Brian fights. I mean, I don't, I don't love this ending. I think it's a bit abrupt, and I don't like. I like the setting. I like the luxury boat, but I would like Brian to have a big fight outside. I don't like that enclosed space fight thing. It, um, just, it's not for me. The best bit though is the shake has got Kim and he's going to reason with her. And the minute he opens his mouth, Brian's like, "Bam! You're fucking dead. Shut up, Kim. I told you so. Get home." <laughs> I saw. I, the, <laughs> the way you just portrayed that scene i almost wish you'd been in the liam neeson role because just <laughs> if if you'd walked in and gone bang you're dead shut up <laughs> <laughs> to me that's a that's a better uh, that's a better piece of dialogue for that bang you're dead shut up shut up <laughs> not enough of that not enough of um, action heroes shooting people and going bang you're dead shut up shut up <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. I'm going now. <laughs> Literally just sort of verbalising what they're doing. Bang, you're dead. Shut up. One, I won. I'm leaving now. See ya. Goodbye. Let's walking go. up, Walking up the stairs. Stay quiet. Stay down. Shut up. <laughs> and that's it. That's everything I have to say about Taken. Um, it's an amazing, amazing film. And I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. I have seen Taken 2 and 3. I can't remember a single thing about them. I've seen Nonstop. I've seen Commuter. I like Liam Neeson as a sad dad who will kick your ass. Oh, you should yeah, watch he's, he's... Walk Among the Tombstones. It's pretty good. That's oh, I've heard one. it's good, yeah. It's I, like, right. yeah I like Run All Night as well. And he's got three, three, his three next films. One, he's a bank robber trying to clear his name. The next one, he's a Perfect. rancher being pursued by cartels. And the third one, he's assassin for hire who becomes the target. So he's sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> he's sticking with this subgenre. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, think... he is so good at it, though. I, you know, I mean, you, you can, uh, you know, you can laugh at like some of the stuff that he's had to do, but I, I think fundamentally he comes across as such a really good, down to earth, likable guy that like you do like go, yep. I'm sold. I'm sold as you're literally going to leave Electro. You basically have told us that the electricity mm. will never go off in this room compared to mm. other other places that you've had to sort of do it makeshift. Here, it will never go off. I'm going to put the electrodes on you. I've done it. I've got the information. And now I'm going to walk out and leave you to slowly cook. That is your death, Marco. I'm going it's, to cook yeah. you. It's, it's pro-torture, the film. It's anti-travel, yeah. anti-foreigners. There are some lots of unpleasant messages, I think, in the film. That's yeah, part of the problem it's I troubling. 
Um, it's also kind of I'm confused as well about what we think of Brian because they kind of make it clear that he lost his family and lost his daughter because of his job, but then he yeah. regained his daughter because of his job. So are we are we pro his job or or anti his job? I'm not sure. I guess we're pro. It's almost I- Shakespearean in its tragedy, really, if you think about it. I think the scene in the kitchen where he's pretending to be on the inside with Jean-Claude and he wants to, obviously he wants to get Marco to say good luck in this very convoluted scene. But he's like, I'm here to take a bigger cut. Uh, your boss sent me or whatever. And he has this rant at the Albanian men about you come over here and you do this, you do that. It's like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't think that's necessary. Like they're bad men. It doesn't really matter where they're from. Oh yeah, when he's he's acting as though he's from the French uh, Interior Security Ministry, and yet is speaking in an American accent that he doesn't even attempt to hide. Yes, yeah, yeah. And no one says I detect a little bit of Irish there. That's weird. How did you get this job? But (laughs) I think this film had two two legacies. One was it created this new career for Liam Neeson and a bunch of knockoffs as well. But also, um, Mm. it was quite negative the legacy for Albania and uh, the tourist industry there. Um, to yeah. the point that they created um, an advert called Taken by Albania, in which Albanians are telling, um, are sort of directing their to camera, t- talking to Liam Neeson, explaining why their country is so lovely and talking about the canyons, the lakes, the fjords and all this. And so mm. they literally, I've watched this advert, they literally say, you've made everyone think the people from Albania are criminal thugs and on the lookout for a daughter to kidnap. Hey Liam, we love watching your films. And we think you're very talented, but we got a bond with you. I will find you. Marco from Trubuya. You've made people of the world think that Will Banyans are criminals, thugs, and always on the lookout for daughters to kidnap. Well, maybe it's time for us to show you our specific set of skills. Take you on the plane, because we think you will be taken by Albania. I've been to Albania, and I was scared because of Taken. <laughs> um... <laughs> And so, it's not like that. Chris, it's all very well saying that, but they're not going to tell you about the sex trafficking, are they? If they're making... <laughs> think about it. If they're well, making... If they're making the movie, they're going to say the nice stuff. Think about it, mate. Clever. They're so being clever. They say, we, they say we want to show you our specific skills so you will be taken by Albania. And then it ends with the actor who plays Marco um, <laughs> uh, saying... Oh, wait, please tell me he's house... horribly burned, still in the chair going, this is what... Liam Neeson did to me. (laughs) (laughs) He says the house of an Albanian belongs to God and to the guest. And then he directs people to www.takenbyalbania.com. I really don't think that's a great website. If you're trying to sort of distance yourself from the idea that Albanians take people and you know, you come across a website called Taken by Albania. The whole campaign was taken by Albania. I'll I'll, I'll just say... I will post that on our Twitter, unless Vicky wants to stick it on the Twitter. I can. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if there's any more for any more, or do you want to do the bits? Oof. Uh, Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Chris, how are you feeling, buddy? Yep. Okay, great. So, Chris, what was your best scene? Uh, Get under the bed. <laughs> um, Jesus! Oh, say it to I, me again. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. We're, we're still we're still recording right now, Chris. But 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 what was you? Vicky just wants to know your best scene, and then she'll do whatever you want. But I think, uh, but you know, for all the reasons we said, but also because I, I think if the the uh, his predecessors in the action hero 
mould, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, I don't think they could deliver that speech. And that's what sort of sets this apart from those action movies and what essentially changed the genre. So it's not just the best scene of the movie. I think it really did change cinema. Yes. Uh, what about you, Alex? Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's the one you mentioned where he... Um, it's the kidnap scene when uh, he's on the phone to her and he does say, the next part is very important. They are going to take you because you run ridiculously. That's my favourite mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, me too. Uh, what The thing I forgot to mention before when I was talking about the rhetoric is does it copies or follows the uh, pattern laid out by two other very famous speeches. Um, we will fight them on the beaches and I have a dream. And, and so it follows that uh like template which is why it's so effective and taps into your unconscious need to be guided through a speech it's very good hmm. um, um mvw alex uh, my mvw neeson he nails it like he the fact that he made this movie and he's so good in it and the fact that it has literally created about 297 knockoff movies in which he plays exactly the same role and although i didn't know it <laughs> Uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a big supporter of January Neeson. I think January Neeson is my <laughs> new favorite thing in the world. I'm going to look out for January Neeson. And when Chris told me all the movies that are coming up, I'm like, seriously, oh, that's actually made me so happy because he's so good in this part. So yeah, it's Liam Neeson, baby. <clears throat> and you, Chris? Liam Neeson. Yep, that makes sense. Um, I was going to say the, the speech itself. <laughs> Um, I would like to have been in the room. Like the rest of the script, there's nothing wrong with it, but it is uh, very straightforward, if you will. But the speech is something else entirely. It's like it's like being graced by God at a particular moment, taking your hand, you write it, and it's like, where, I don't know where that came from, but that's going to make me very, very wealthy. Perfect. Um, uh, one change, please, Chris. I've got, uh, there's something I wanted to ask you guys. This might not be my change. I want to get your opinion. <clears throat> How do you feel about him being called Brian Mills? Not, not one, but two <laughs> quite boring names. Yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> he sounds like an insurance salesman rather than a killer. And I say that as the son of an insurance salesman. Like, um, <laughs> I, I can say that because my dad's an insurance salesman. Yeah, nice. <laughs> But he's called Ted Tilly. That would be a better name for uh, a killer than Brian Mills. I, I mean, um, I think, I think, I think, I don't mind Brian Mills so much. I wish he'd spell it with an I. I find the the Y just a little too playful, a little too whimsical. Like it's it's do, Brian, do, 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 Brian with a Y. Think, because famously, um, Ian Fleming wanted to pick the most boring name he could for Bond, and he picked James Bond. It was the name of an ornithologist. Um, and he thought it, as it was a boring name, it would work for an undercover spy. And of course, it's become synonymous with cool, the name James Bond. So I'm wondering if they thought Brian Mills would become synonymous with cool. No. But it hasn't. It's not the worst <laughs> name. Um, the worst, the, one of the uh, characters with ridiculous names. Did you ever see um, the movie <clears throat> Swordfish with Hugh Jackman? And yeah. Oh, I think I have. He plays, he plays a hacker in, in that, uh, if you can believe it. He, and... His name, because you know how hackers have kind of cool names. His name in Swordfish is Stanley Jobson. <laughs> God, <laughs> bloody hell! So Brian Mills has got it good because Stanley Jobson is ridiculous. <laughs> All right, if you're pro Brian Mills, um, my actual change, I would, I would lose the final two scenes, the family reunion at the airport, and then that extra scene with Holly Valance, um, because <laughs> I, I feel like you don't need either of those, and. If it ended 
with him rescuing her and it goes to that sort of sad piano music and the credits um it would be a big it's sort of a bang whereas this just feels like the air just coming out of a balloon and it's much less impactful mm. it just sort of goes down and down a couple of notches so end with her you know saying daddy you saved me and, and him sort of walking off the boat with her as the credits come up yeah, and also, you know, that relationship with Holly Valance is not going to go well because the the minute Holly goes, so you, you can actually sing, uh, Kim. That, that's that's great. Uh, now onto the dancing part of being a pop star. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would your change be then? Um, so mine is, I really think the movie lacks... Um, Maybe not a proper villain, but a villain dispatched in the correct order. Like, I don't like the way it does, like, the bad guy deaths. Because as the movie goes, so you've got the the dude who he's trying to catch at the airport, the charming guy who gets hit by the bus, kills him, then he kills the pimp, then he kills the good luck dude, Marco, then he kills the English auction guy, St. Clair, then he kills the sheikh and his bodyguard on the boat. And, like, he kills people who were just introduced... And then five minutes later, he's killed them. And although Marco gets a bigger death, he's still killed like, you know, two thirds of the way through the movie. And then we're on to the auction guy, St. Clair, and the shake is the the sort of end level baddie. For me, like the good luck bit at the start where Marco teases him on the phone during the massive speech and he goes, good luck at the end. And he's like, fuck you. I don't give a fuck. You're never going to catch me. Marco should be the last guy he kills. He should be the ultimate mm. bad guy. Because as it goes, mm. you're like, I don't really... Who's the shake? I mean, he's clearly a pervert, and now he's dead, and his bodyguard's dead. You want him... Chunky like you pervert. want <laughs> Chunky pervert. <laughs> you want Marco to exist throughout all those scenes, maybe, like, dragging Kim off, like, because partly because she's his money, and partly because, like, he's now got this vendetta against brian killing him and like stopping him selling her so i just really feel that it sort of fluffs its bad guys a little bit i want marco to be the last kill yeah and i think there could be a bit more detective work because like you say he gets a bad guy in front of him he kills them and then he moves on and there's no progression in the fighting and there's not very much detective work so yeah i agree anyway that's not my change though guess what my change is let's follow you two through europe (laughs) 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 Um, i think it's i don't actually think we should follow you two that would be ridiculous but when liam neeson finds kimmy's secret map of europe and it's got berlin and madrid and whatever all these brilliant cities marked off you as the audience are like fucking brilliant we're gonna go to those cities and then we don't we stay in paris and it's a shame Mm. so logically logistically it's hard because then you've got Brian on an interrail or Brian hitching a lift with some gap year kids, whatever. And that's not good, but it would be nice to see him in Berlin. I think in this, would you, are you basically saying you'd like taken to be more like the sex comedy Euro trip, but with guns? (laughs) Because I'm going to say as a massive, massive fan of Euro trip, I am totally on board with that idea. (laughs) It's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, uh, so that's my change. Yeah. The tagline. <laughs> the, oh, oh my god, the tagline could be "Tour de Force." Because mm. <laughs> mm. he's using force. I will find you, and I will something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. That's it. All right then. So, Commando on Monday taken today. It's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. My choices, so I'll go last. I'm going to start with Christopher. 
Well, I think both these films achieved what they set out to do, and it's very satisfying watching these blokes employ their specific set of skills. Um, Taken is more sophisticated filmmaking, and it's fun, but I, I do think it turns into a bit of a slog um, towards the end. And although it's about exploitation, it does become a bit exploitative. And as we said, a bit xenophobic, a bit reactionary, even though I do like it when he electrocutes guys and shoots the wife. So I don't know. I feel conflicted by it taken. Uh, whereas Commando is fun all the way. Um, and it makes me so happy, Commando, for 90 minutes. So because of that, I'm currently taking my pants off as I'm going Commando. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Victoria, we have one vote for Commando. Um, I know you were excited about Taken. Are you sticking with Taken? <laughs> well, the thing is, Commando really surprised me because I wasn't expecting Arnie to punch his way out of a plane made of cardboard and I wasn't expecting Cindy to fire a rocket launcher at police officers and not backwards, for sure. So I was really pleased by Commando because it just a lot of things happened that I was not in a million years expected. But you have to remember, the first time I saw Taken, I saw it without swearing and I still loved it. Now, you know me and I like a swear. That means it's an amazing film. <laughs> Sorry. And I can't be dissuaded from that. Put a bit of swearing in it. It's fucking perfect. So Taken, oh. obviously. Right then. So that's one for Commando and one for Taken. Oh, it's nice. It was my, They were my choices and I, I get to make the final votes, which I'm very, very pleased about. Um, I, I completely get what you're saying, Chris. Um, I think Commando makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside, considering it's a movie in which lots of people die. I'm like, no, oh, it's like a it's like a hug, a big Arnie hug, and I think a lot of that to do with uh, to do uh, with the color palette of it. Cause it's so bright, it's like a it's like a rom com color palette just with death. And Taken <laughs> is much more grim, much more dark. Um, it's it's great, and it gave us Liam Neeson as this new action hero, which I have enjoyed his movies, uh, even if you don't really get to see him fight a wolf in the grey. Well, that was a lie, that trailer. <laughs> so I, I'm going to be honest. It's going to be... Commando! Whoop, whoop, whoop. Oh, oh, you fooled me. <laughs> yeah. You fooled me. Yeah, no, I, 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 I will be honest. I'd made my mind up after watching them both. I hadn't made it up before I sat down to watch them this time. That's the whole point of the rewatch. But I did, did <clears throat> immediately after sitting down to watch both of them go, it's Commando. It's so stupid. And weirdly, I think I remember watching it as like a 10-year-old and going, this is stupid. But it's brilliant. Yeah. And that sentiment has continued through every rewatch. Even now, I'm finding different things about how fucking stupid Commando is. And yet, I could watch it again tonight because it's so fucking brilliant. And it's 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 just, I don't know what it is. There's something. It's one of those movies. And I think the reason we're still talking about a 1985 Arnie action movie it, it, like today is because there's something going on under the surface that we're not quite aware of how to put our finger on or how to qualify in Commando that makes it just one of those timeless, brilliant movies. So, Commando. Commando is our winner this week. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great then. Let's look forward in time to next week's shows. Chris, you gave us a clue on uh, our last episode. What was the clue again? Uh, swinging in the rain. Would you like to guess, Victoria? 
No, no. I'm fine. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither. I, I don't want to guess. I'd just like to be told. Uh, all right, Alex, I'm going to let you pick a year for you to do. Do you want to do 1980 or 1996? Oh, it, I, just because, you know, I was actually alive in 1980 and uh, Victoria... Um, had been alive five years more. I'll pick 1980. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't uh, even alive. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex, uh, you have got Caddyshack from 1980. No! And Vicky, you have got Happy Gilmore from 1996. Okay. Uh, no, no golf puns spring to mind, but lovely work, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Fantastic. Well, that's it uh, for us. Commando is the champion of this week's episode. We are going golfing next week for... <laughs> nope. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just shouted yeah. for for no, no reason. reason. It didn't no. work. What yeah. an idiot. <laughs> you know, I like to go... I like to end as I started, sort of like misguided and... Um, is there any other business before I say goodbye? Because I feel like this is the point of the show where I always I always go bye bye, and then Chris goes. <laughs> no, I don't. Chris, think so. actually, no. Great stuff. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back doing Happy Gilmore and Caddy Shack next week. That is your homework. Thanks again, and do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It means a lot. Bye bye for now. This was a Stakhanov production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.